you want, I don't know who did this. I'm going to assume Missy. Uh, there's like a, a page of like blank for like sermon notes back there. Uh, go, go get them. You can, you can use that. Um, it's just blank. Uh, you can fill in the stuff that you want to fill in. Um, but we're going to begin Acts chapter 13. We're continuing our series of Remarkable. And let's just read these first few verses and we're going to jump right on in because we got 52 verses to go. So now... There were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering, that's a word you can underline, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. If you're taking notes, just simply, I'm wanting us to choose to determine to live a sent life and a sending life. And we're, we're going to break that down and take a look at what that means. But I want us to determine, to, to make a conscientious, intentional choice to live a sent life and a sending life. But let's pray. Father, Father, as we're about to, to, to journey through a chapter and, and just through the life and the, the story of what we see in this first missionary journey of, of Paul, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you have to say, that uh, we wouldn't just hear the story, but that we would hear your word and that it would um, just speak truth into our life and that we would take it, run with it, and apply it, Lord. I pray that... Um, we would see the example of this church and of these men who have chosen to, to live this sent life and to see the impact that they can make. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes we have to make a determination that I'm going to take a step. I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to do what it is that has been required to, to make this mission be accomplished. Well, when I was 18 years old in the fall of 1999 and was going to a community college in Tulsa, um, my mission was to ask a girl on a date. And uh, I, I was terrified. If you are uh, a guy, you get it. If you're a lady, maybe. But it's terrifying whenever you have that moment of there's someone that you're interested in. And so uh, the scene that I was in was rock climbing, uh, grunge, and just not really bathing yourself. It was like granola. And so I just remember I was going to go to Sun and Ski Sports. There was a girl in one of my classes I was interested in. And what I had behind me was there was a group of people, specifically two of my best friends who had moved off, but I'd been in contact with them. And I was like, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go and talk to this girl um, and, and ask her to see if she wants to go to Java Dave's coffee place. And so uh, I do everything that I can. And I'm sitting in my 1996 Chevy Cheyenne pickup truck. And I'm just like, you got this, Stephen. I'm building myself up, building myself up. Um, and it's interesting because we have so many Laurens, but her name was Lauren. And I was like, okay. I was like, I was practicing. I was like, Oh, Lauren, you're here. Oh, Lauren, she works there. Of course she's there. I was thinking of every way in which I could try to engage in this. And so I literally, I get out of the truck, I have my idea, and I go back to the truck. I'm not lying. Like, I was, I was, I was sweating. I was nervous, uh, you know, cotton mouth. I didn't know what I was going to do. But because of the encouragement uh, 
Oh, it wasn't on the phone. We didn't have phones at that time. Well, we had, you know, like landlines. But, you know, and so I, I, I can just hear my friends speaking into my mind saying, dude, you've determined to do this. Just, just go for it. And so finally... I make my way into Sun and Ski Sports Apparel, and I open that door, and she's in the rock climbing area, and I go, hey, Lauren, and she's like, hey, Steve, what's, I was Steve back then, actually, hey, Steve, what's, what's going on? And I was like, uh, you, you want to get a cup of coffee at Java Dave's Coffee Place? And she was like, yeah, I was like, cool, and I was walking away, and I was like, I mean, do you, do you want to, to, to meet there, like, this week sometime? I mean, the seven-ish? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. I walked away, sweat, a little bit of shame, and and I was just like, I did it. And I remember I got home, got on my landline, called Forrest, called Barrett. And I was like, you guys have been so proud of me. I was so smooth. I asked this girl out. We're going to go to Java Dave's Coffee Place. Obviously, it didn't work out for the good. There's a, uh, <laughs> um, but I was, I was determined on a mission, and I was going to go forward with it. Some of you have been in places like that on something that is funny and kind of an odd story like that. But in other areas of like, I'm going to go down that path and pursue this occupation. I'm going to go down this path. I'm going to pursue this, uh, this relationship. And when it comes to what we are called to as followers of Christ is even when it makes you feel awkward or uncomfortable or you are sweating bullets because there is a sense of nervousness, it is worth stepping out in obedience to what God has called us to do, who he's called us to be, and that is that we would declare his glory, make his name famous by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And sometimes I think it's sitting in your pickup truck saying, I am determined to do this thing because it's worth it. And isn't it true that there's no one else worthy of you risking it for? It's, there's no one else worthy of you to, to give glory to. And everyone else needs to be giving glory. We want to see other people glorifying our Lord and our Savior Jesus because he's the only one worthy of glory. Buddha is not worthy of glory. Philosophical ideas are not worthy of glory. All other faiths and religions, they're not worthy of the glory that needs to be given specifically to the King of Kings and to Jesus. And we see that Paul and Barnabas, the church at Antioch, is determined we're not just going to keep it and, and build up our empire here in Antioch. We need to go out and be sent. And that's what we see in these first three verses. I know we got to go through 52, but we could, we could spend the entire night in these first three verses. And it's kind of hard for me not to, but I want us to journey uh, through, through the entirety of the chapter. But what, what you see, look at what, it, look at what it shows in verses 1 through 3. We have the church at Antioch, which is just a little bit north of Jerusalem. Don't worry, I got maps, I'll show you later. And we have these prophets and these teachers and, and they list them off. And just real quick, what's beautiful about this list is you might go, it's just a list of names. But the list of names is, is actually communicating with us that this is an incredibly diverse group of leadership of teachers and prophets. You have people from different backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities. You, you have, you have uh, uh, Simon, the, who was called Niger. He's probably from... Uh, from Africa, he's probably he's probably a, a black. You, you got you got Barnabas. We know that he's from the island of Cyprus. We got Lucius. He's from the northern part of Africa. We have Menaean, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Like he's got some kind of political nobility kind of thing. Like you have this 
unique uh, group of people that probably otherwise would not have chosen to spend time together, but because of Christ. They are together. That's the beauty of what we have as the church, regardless of ethnicity, man or woman, uh, black or white, uh, young, old, rich, poor, we all We all came to saving faith in Christ in the same way by God pursuing us and understanding that we're all equal at the foot of the cross and that we are all in need of grace and mercy. So we come here and we say, we got lots of differences and that's beautiful actually, but what brings us together is the cause and the person of Jesus. And so you see that here in the church of Antioch. In verse two, it says that while they were ministering to the Lord, your translation might even say while they were worshiping the Lord, it, it, it literally is this idea of like while they were blessing the Lord. Do you, have you ever thought of that? I was talking about with our group of, right before we uh, came out to lead worship. Have you ever thought about when you come in here to this place, this setting as a church, that sometimes we show up and we're like, I hope the sermon blesses me. I hope the music blesses me. But in this church setting, they're saying, I want to bless the Lord. I mean, think about that. Normally, we're saying, God bless me. I want your blessings. I'm going to count your blessings. But in this moment, the church is getting to bless the Lord, worship the Lord, and he receives it. And it's like, "Mm, that's good. I take that. I receive that. I love that blessing. In the same way, we all love to be blessed. I haven't seen anybody who said, don't bless me. Everybody enjoys being blessed. And apparently, they're choosing to, to do the same to the Lord whenever they are worshiping him. So when you come to worship... When you come together as Mission Point Community Church, when we walk through these doors and we gather together as the church to worship, be intentional and determined of, I don't want it to be about me. I hope that I receive something that applies and I can take into my life, but I, I want to just, I want to minister to the Lord. I want to bless his name. I want to declare his glory because he is the center of what we are doing. Not, not, not me. While they're doing this, they're also fasting. So they're, they're practicing some spiritual disciplines. And as they're doing so, it's in this moment that the Holy Spirit speaks. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. He specifically says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Remember this. Ministry for the Lord is work. Sometimes, if we're not careful, followers of Christ are like, I showed up. God, do your thing. Yes, God does the supernatural. He does incredible work. But he calls us to join him in that work. So that takes effort, energy, thought, sacrifice. And, and I'll remind you that in the book of Genesis, whenever uh, Adam disobeyed and sinned against God and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. But in Genesis 2, God places Adam in the garden before sin enters the world. He says, cultivate it. (laughs) Work it. Work is not a result of sin or the fall. Work has always been a part of the plan. And so for us in the life of the church, sometimes it's going, you're going to get a little bit strained and stretched because it takes work, it takes effort, and it takes some energy. And so he says, set apart for me, the Holy Spirit does, set apart for me, these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they, the church, had fasted and prayed, again, practicing spiritual disciplines, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Sometimes we think the laying on hands is, is some kind of you know, fancy, like we're transferring some kind of power to them. 
The only thing I'm going to transfer to you is maybe some kind of, I don't know, I, I might make you sick with some of my hand or whatever it may be. The, the, the picture of this is that they are worshiping the Lord, they're practicing these spiritual disciplines, and they're saying, God, you have spoken, and you've asked us to move and to act by sending them out. So we are agreeing with what you said, and we're demonstrating that in a visual way, and in an action of go with our blessing. We're, we're, we're sending you out. We're in agreement with what God has called us to do. And so we lay hands We've had the privilege of being able to do that whenever we've sent off some teams. Just recently when, when Doug and Janice were able to go to the DR, to the Dominican Republic, in, in, in as representatives of us and be able to gather around them, pray for them, put hands on them of saying, we, 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 are, we are with you, we support you, we agree with you in this. Go, you're sent on our behalf, but in, in, the, name, in the name of the Lord. Now, when, when I read this, there's a whole lot that we could take out of this, but again, we've got we to move, is the thing that I, that, I, that I saw within this is that when they are choosing, the church of Antioch, choosing to be in the presence of God and practicing spiritual disciplines, that's when they were in a posture to be able to hear from the Lord. Sometimes they're like, I don't feel like God's speaking to me. Are you slowing down, setting yourself apart, to have consecrated time to where that's not always the case. Sometimes God can talk to you in the middle of rush hour traffic. It's not that you got to have that, but there's something special and unique that I've seen in scripture when people are separated and just focused on the Lord. And that I personally have experienced in those moments of a worship time to where I'm just sensitive to be able to hear from the Lord. And so sometimes we're like, I can't hear from God. And this isn't to, to have a, a tirade like on technology or anything, but it, it wouldn't hurt us to say, I'm going to choose to put away that phone. It makes me think that this perhaps is their, the, the, the outcome of their fasting. When they're choosing to say, we want to refrain from food because as much as we want to quell our hunger pains, man, we, we want to feast with you. We want to be in your presence and we would discipline ourselves for that so that God, we would hear from you. We want to know what you have to say for your name and for your glory. The other thing that I find is this. They're not only obedient to God, but they're obedient to the point of they sent Barnabas and Saul. If you don't have a Barnabas in your life, you're missing out. This guy's nickname, I mean, he's the son of encouragement. You need a guy in your life, a lady in your life, who is like your cheerleader, encouraging you along the way because this life is hard. And they say, Barnabas... Come on down. You're the next guy. You're going out. We're going to send you out. And, and they're like, yeah, we're excited. And they're like, and Saul. Saul, this incredibly educated guy. This guy is going to write so much of our New Testament. Plant so many churches. Be the great theologian. They're sending their best. They're sending people that sometimes we might go, well, we're wanting to build our empire here in Antioch. We're wanting to build our empire, if you will, here in Murfreesboro. We want to see the church grow. And then someone comes along and says, Pastor, elders, church, I think the Lord is leading me to do this or that. And it's like, well, does it have to be Saul and Barnabas? Could it be Will and Tom? They don't really do much. They need to get out there. It might help them stretch their faith. Let's let them go. And it's like, no, no, no. I want Saul and I want Barnabas. And they are in agreement and said, yeah, let's send them out. And so... As much as individually, and sometimes we make things maybe too individualized within the life of the church, 
is yes, individually, I want us to determine to live a sent and sending life. But as a church, Mission Point, the church at Mission Point, if you will, that we would be a church that is sent and sending. Sometimes we get focused on Paul and Barnabas went, but it was the support of the church that was behind them to send them out. There are going to be moments in your life where you're going to hopefully get to experience being sent out, but hopefully you have the experience of sending people out. First time I had the chance to go overseas to, uh, on a mission trip to Russia, I was in college, it was an incredible expense to be able to do this, and they told me that in order for you to go, you got to raise this support. And if you've ever tried to raise support, it's awful. It's, it's very just awkward for me of being like, hey, I haven't talked to you in like three years, cousin of mine, but uh, I'm going on this trip. Will you support me in prayer? And I do mean it, but if you don't support me financially, I'll just see you next week um, because I can't go. And it's like, I need this financial support. And I, I wrestled with that. I struggled with that. Some of you maybe have experienced that as well. And I still struggle with that because it's awkward to be like, who am I that you would want to invest in me financially in that way? It's hard. But I can remember my aunt speaking to me. I was, I was actually living with her and my uncle for the summer. And, and uh, as I was getting ready to go, she said, Stephen, I don't know. Like, I want to hopefully be obedient enough that God said go, I would go. But right now, I know that I'm in a season of life with some of my, my responsibilities. She said, hopefully I'm not making excuses, but I can't, I can't go for two and a half months. I could maybe do a short-term trip for like a week, but two and a half months, that's going to be impossible for, for me. But you're at a place where you can. And so I want to, I want to invest in you because you can do what I can't. And but I feel like in a way that I'm getting to be a part of what is going on. I get, I get to have a piece of that, of when you're having a conversation with a university student there in Samara, Russia, I'm not there, but I'm a part of that. And, and sometimes we, 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 we focus on who got to go, but there's so much that's so important about the sending. And we need to not be one or the other. We need to be both and, and be a part of both. Because for some, we hear this and we go, well, I'm supposed to be a sent life. This is the story of Paul's first missionary journey. So that means the pastor is saying, you need to go overseas. You need to be willing. But for our emphasis as mission point for 2022 is we got to engage with more people. I've been sharing with you guys the last few weeks. Who, do you, who lives with and around you? Who do you work with? Who do you play with? That's who I'm saying God is sending you, whether you know it or not. When he sends you home, when he sends me home to where I live, every time I'm being sent into that neighborhood as I drive up. I'm being sent to my two neighbors that are to the right of left of me. You're being sent all the time. Whenever I go to work and it's at my home on a computer, I'm being sent to work. And having conversations. And this is something that I didn't have because it's brand new. Friday, I got to have a gospel conversation on the phone because someone said, I can't explain that. Can I call you? And I was like, sure. Next thing I know, we're talking about Jesus. And I'm like, this was unexpected. This was cool. But, but he sends you into your workplace, to your neighborhood, and to your friends that you get to play with. So you are sent but, but, but are, you, are you responding to those moments to be a part of that, that kingdom work? So we got to go. So uh, 
This is the launching of the first missionary trip of Paul, uh, and Barnabas is here with them. And so we jump into verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word. Underline that. that. That's the key. They began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John, the guy we met last week, John Mark, as their helper. Uh, first thing I want you to notice with this is that ultimately it says in verse 3 that the church sent them away, but ultimately in verse 4, they're sent away by the Holy Spirit. God is the one that's over all of this. I remember that. You might think, I'm driving home to my neighborhood. God is sending you back home. He allowed you to make it home. <laughs> it's not a guarantee that you get to go home from your work to your home. Accidents happen. You got to go home. He's, he's, he's letting you continue to be sent. Now, I love maps. We're going to look at a map. And so uh, if we can pull that up, I just kind of want to show you here. And I found out from someone, I won't name names other than her middle name is Leanne. And uh, I showed a map to you guys a couple of weeks ago. And she was like, you were talking. I'm sure it was eloquent and great. But I had no idea what was what because I couldn't see anything. And I couldn't find Jerusalem. Uh-oh. This back. Okay, Jerusalem is right here. So to kind of give you some bearings, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Right here is where the Church of Antioch is at. So the Church of Antioch, they technically go south just a little bit to the port of Seleucia. And you're going, why are we looking at this? Because maps are awesome. And so he goes from Seleucia, and they travel by boat to Salamis. So they're doing all kinds of extensive travel. They go to the island of Cyprus, they make port in Salamis, and then what they're about to do is they're going to travel across the island of Cyprus, eventually to this other port in Paphos, and along the way, they are proclaiming the word of God. They're going strategically, and specifically to synagogues, because they know that we have a, we have a foot in, because we're Jewish, and Paul is a rabbi, that we can kind of get in there, and we're going to have opportunities to be able to proclaim the word of God. So they're, they're, they're being smart. They're being uh, strategic about this, not just, well, God, I guess we're I guess we're going to go on this trip and we're going to get to Cyprus and we'll wander around. And do you want Jesus? Do you, do you want Jesus? No, they have, they have a plan. Uh, they're, 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 they're being sent, but they're being sent with, again, intention and uh, a plan. So that's where we are. They're on the island of Cyprus and they're making their way over to Paphos. And we're about to read what happens here. So look at verse uh, 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name is Bar-Jesus, means son of Jesus, not Jesus, Jesus didn't have any kids, um, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a proconsul is like a governor, um, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God, but as we go through um, Acts 13, notice how many times Luke, the author, uses the word but. <laughs> but Elymas, the magician, so Bar-Jesus, same person, but Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So you have this, basically this kind of sorcerer, magician kind of guy uh, who is in the court of uh, Sergius Paulus, and at some point, Sergius Paulus hears about Saul and Barnabas and says, would you tell me what it is that you're sharing? And, and so they, they come into his presence, and they're beginning to, to share this with him, but there's opposition. 
Just as a, as a note, when you choose to be sent for the Lord, when you choose to live a sent life and be on mission, there will always be opposition. Always. And in two fashions. Externally and internally. Externally, all kinds of different things are going to come up, especially if you are choosing to come alongside and lock arms with us at Mission Point of we want to be intentionally engaging with more people, of, of thinking of who are those people that we live, work, and play that there are going to be opportunities of where things are going to come up to where I want to engage this person that I live with, engage this person that I work with, and, and try to love them in action and try to share the gospel with them as best as I possibly can. But weather happens. Sickness happens. Just, just different things take place. Different appointments get, get broken. And it's like, man, it just seems like we're being prevented from being able to have a time to really invest and be able to talk to this individual that I have a heart and a burden for. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that pop up. There's also going to be opposition internally. And this is where I think the majority of us struggle is we have insecurities of who am I to tell you this? Or am I going to have enough education or experience to have that kind of conversation and to be able to discuss the scripture, to be able to discuss Jesus? Or I'm just physically tired. I know I'm supposed to meet with you and we're going to go and, you know, have a cup of coffee and, and I, I hope that it can possibly lead into some gospel conversation, but man, I'm just, I'm, I'm exhausted. Opposition is always going to rise up. But what I love is in verse nine, there's another but, but Saul, who was also known as Paul. We don't have time to get into that whole name thing. I, I taught you guys that before, but if you want to know later, I'll tell you. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, Notice he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he fixes his gaze on this guy, this magician. Don't read the next verse. I know you're tempted to, but don't yet. What's beautiful about this is sometimes when we face opposition and someone's like, I don't want to hear that. You're judging me. Whatever it may be, sometimes what we do is we might think, well, maybe, maybe Paul at this point is going to be like, I'm sorry, didn't mean to be offensive, not trying to kind of get in, in, in the way here. But instead, he, he speaks with conviction and power. He's not, he's not a jerk. He's not rude. But he is intense. He, look, at, look, look at verse, verse 10. He's looking at the Son of Jesus, and he says, You, in case you were wondering, I was talking about someone else. You, who are full of deceit. Notice what he's full of. You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. I know your name is son of Jesus. No, 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 no. You are the son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? He's not going to just let them get by with interrupting and opposing the word of the Lord being proclaimed to this guy. We need a little bit of a backbone as followers of Jesus doesn't mean that we are rude, and it doesn't mean that we're looking for a fight, but we, we don't just roll over. We're willing to, to stand for what we know to be true. But before you think, man, he's harsh here, there, there's some truth, but there is truth, I believe, still here seasoned with grace, mercy, and kindness. Look at what happens. He says, now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind. You might be saying, Pastor, how is that kind? <laughs> I'm getting there. You will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. 
You might say, well, how, how is there an element of mercy or sympathy? I believe, and just in my study from others that I had read as well, I think there's this sense of Paul was about as opposed to the, to the gospel as anybody. He was opposed to Christians, to the way. He was like, absolutely not. And then God encounters him on the Damascus Road. He's blinded. Jesus speaks to him. And it's in the moment of his blindness that he comes to know the Lord. And I can't help but wonder if he's like, God got my attention when I was opposed to the things of God whenever I was blind. Maybe if he was in a physical state of darkness, he could recognize his spiritual state of darkness. I think there's a sense of, it worked for me, I hope it works for you, but this is unacceptable. I love you, grace, mercy, but this is unacceptable. So I, I, gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm, 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 I'm taking care of that. And so he goes on and he says in verse 12, then the proconsul believed when they saw that he, what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He, he, has a, he has a sense, or not a sense, but what we have here is, even though there's opposition, God, God wins. The proconsul comes to saving faith in, in Jesus. He hears the word of the Lord, and he surrenders his life to Jesus. Well, the journey continues. Look at, look at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to the sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Do we still have that map? Is it good to go? Okay, map time. So, here they are. Here they are at the port of Paphos. They make their way up here towards Perga, and eventually they're going to land in Antioch of Pisidia. And when I was reading this and studying this years ago, I was like, I thought he was in Antioch. Did he just make a, a, a circle? It's like, no, there's other cities that are also named the same name. And what happens is, is he makes his way all the way from Antioch here in modern-day Syria, and now he's making his way up to Antioch, Pisidia. And that's where he's going to be in just a moment. So, so it says here that going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. They continued to kind of do their rhythm, their thing. And then after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, and we'll pick up there in just a second. When, when, when they get to go to the synagogue, they are continuing to be on mission. And because they're choosing to do so, opportunities arise. I promise you, you may not believe me. Maybe some of you haven't stepped out yet, but if you will step out and be on mission, live a sent life, opportunities will arise because you're more sensitive and you're looking for them. You're seeing them and you're being intentional about it. You're being strategic about it. The same is true here with Paul. In fact, it, it wasn't, this wasn't an unusual thing. But if you were to go into a Jewish kind of worship service, there was a part where there would be the reading of the law, and it wouldn't be unusual to find out that there's a visiting rabbi and say, hey, would you want to come and kind of read and teach for a second? And Paul's like, absolutely. I would love to do just that. And so what we're about to read is the first recorded sermon of Paul. If you heard my first recorded sermon... Nothing like this. <laughs> this is a, an incredibly first recorded sermon of Paul. And we're going to see a few things here that we're going to take note of. And, and as, as we're about to read them, because of just time's sake, just notice and maybe even underline how many times you see what God is doing. I'll, I'll give you an example in just a second, and you'll see the rest as we read. 
But he says, men of Israel, verse 16, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, notice, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, look at what God does. This is God's work. He led them out from it. For a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John, John the Baptist, had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Just briefly before we come back to his sermon. Three things of note. He gives an incredible history lesson, which was a common teaching tactic by people in a Jewish synagogue. So he's getting their attention. And he's also validating, I got the education and the knowledge that I, I know what I'm talking about. And so he's got that audience hooked. And he does. He just journeys through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and First and Second Samuel. And where you're going to find out later, you're going to have an opportunity to journey through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy on Thursday nights. More for that later. The second thing that I want you to note is this. Is, again, you, maybe you underline them. I have them all underlined in my copy of Scripture, but take a note of all the things that God does. You might think, oh, this is just the history of Israel. No, 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 no. He chose, He made, He led, He put up with, He destroyed, He distributed, He gave, He removed, He raised up, and then He brought, sent a Savior, Jesus. God is at work. Join Him. Join Him. Be a part of that work. The other thing is, his sermon is rooted in the Word. My prayer and desire is that wherever you live, if you move to, that you find a community of faith where the Word is taught. If someone starts giving you psychological ideas in which ways to have a better fulfilled life, leave. Go where the word will be taught. In my opinion, expositionally, where they are taking the word of God and saying, I want to expose what God has to say so that you can hear it and receive it. That's why we, going through chapter at a time, book of Acts. And so the intro of Paul's sermon is him hooking his listeners and saying there was an expectation of the Messiah. And we found out that God sent him. His name is, is Jesus. But now he's going to talk about the arrival of the Messiah. Look at verses 26 and on. He says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Here's another but. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he was spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, he died, and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Here's another one. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed or justified from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. we got to go quick, but he's now talking about the, not the expectation of the Messiah, but the arrival of the Messiah and what he accomplishes. It just in a nutshell, what he's saying is the message of salvation has been sent to us, to you. And this is the message. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is salvation. Jesus forgives. Jesus frees. And he's specifically kind of going after the one thing that they're saying, oh, but what, what we need is Jesus. Great. But we also need the law. And what you have in verses 38 and 39 38 and 39 are, are an incredible kind of summation that eventually Paul is going to expound upon in the book of Romans and in Galatians. It's him in this moment saying, he is the one who brings about forgiveness of sin. He's the one who frees you from all things. He is the one who is able to justify you, to forgive you. Though we love the law, the law can't accomplish that. The example of that is like the law is like a mirror. A mirror is great. You stand in front of your mirror when you're getting ready to get ready for tonight. You stand in the mirror when you get up and you look up and you're like, whew, I am seeing this reflection and it is beautiful or it is just, whoa, you got to do some work. Come your hair, do some different things. It's revealing to you your condition. It can reveal to you your condition. It cannot redeem you from your condition. Others have said that the law is like an x-ray. You go and get an x-ray, realize your bone is broken. You would not take that x-ray, wrap it around your arm, and go, heal. Do your job. It just shows you the broken bone. That's good. You need that as a starting point to be like, there's a broken bone. There's a condition that needs to be dealt with, and I need to be honest with it. But it's Jesus and his life that he lived, and the, the, the death that he died, and the victory over the death that makes it possible for him to forgive and to redeem and to free us from, 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 from all of this. And so we get to this point and you go, all right, Paul, you got a great sermon going on, so what? And he says, I'll tell you what, look at verse 40, take heed. Take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. He's basically saying, man, be warned. The same is true. If you're in this room tonight, if you're watching online, or if you hear this uh, weeks, years later, you've heard the gospel. You've heard what Jesus can accomplish. Now you, you've got to do something with it. 
Either Jesus saves, redeems, forgives sins, frees us, and is alive, or he's not. There's no middle room when it comes to this. You have to do something with it. Whenever he gets finished, I love it. It says in verse 42, it says, As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. I expect you to do that after this sermon to me. And it says, Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. I, I, I would not be offended if you were like, I can't wait to hear about the grace of God next week. That, that, that is just, I'm, I'm excited to hear about the grace of God. Verse 44, then the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Here's another but, but when the Jews saw the crowds, opposition always is rising up. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. We've seen people be filled with a lot of different stuff in this chapter. But the ones who are continuing to be just on a, on a straight line for the glory of the Lord, they're full of the Holy Spirit. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming or slandering. And Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? They spoke out boldly. They weren't deterred, they were determined. We're not going to stop just because you're causing a a ruckus and just because you're dragging our name through the mud. We know what to be true. You're not going to sway us. So Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But, the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. You have this moment of just kind of this crescendo of God doing things and then opposition rises up, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother Paul and Barnabas. They continue to proclaim the Lord. And then the determined work that God wanted done took place. It says, and as many has been appointed to eternal life, believe God's work will be done. Will you be a part of it? But as it spread through the whole region, maybe people's piece of the pie was just being, being uh, uh, jeopardized and being infringed upon. And they're like, we, we don't like this. And so the Jews get those who are in prominence of leadership to say, we've we got to put a stop to this. But even though they do that, you see another but, verse 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I I love that they take a page from Jesus' playbook of if you're going to go into a place and they are not going to receive the word of the Lord, don't continue to cast your pearl to swine. Don't continue to pass past something that is priceless that's not going to be appreciated do what you've gone to do you've been sent there and now <laughs> the way that i kind of put it you sent and now you're now you're went you're going to just continue to go on you're going to continue to go forward with the mission and with the cause you've done what you can here continue to go forward and the reason why they're able to do so and be okay with it is even though it's like man there's opposition 
and things seem to be going so well. Maybe we could just kind of, kind of camp out here and just do our job and do our work and, and, and just see this thing really rise up here in Pisidian Antioch. And we're going to have just this great ministry here. God says, no, 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 I, I have something else for you to do. You are to be sent out. You still have a journey to be a part of. And they're okay with it because of two things. They're, they're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And don't be deterred whenever you have opposition come your way. Because you have power and victory in the very presence and person of God. And so, just like with Paul's sermon, when he says, take heed, as, as we come to a close, I, I'm just asking you to take heed tonight. Whether you're with us in person, if you're online, that you might look at this story and go, Paul and Barnabas, look at what they're doing, look what Paul is doing. If you are a follower of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit resides within you. And I believe we all have that same call to proclaim, to make disciples, to glorify God in, in word and in deed. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling upon us to continue to have that desire because in the same way that our God, if you will, is that missionary God that, that sent Jesus, and then Jesus says, He sent me, now I'm sending you, that, that we would say, I'm going to choose to live this sent life. And so would you just close your eyes for just a moment? And I'm asking you to do that, not to, not to feel like you're, you're wrapping up and now, now we're done. As I've said before, I think this is the most crucial time. We've journeyed through Acts 13. So what? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to this? You could look at it and say, man, that's a cool story. Look at what Paul did. But I hope you'd say, man, that's a remarkable story. Look at what God did through Paul. And I am determined to believe that he can do that through me. Because he can. But are you positioning yourself to be able to hear from the Lord? What I'm asking you to do right now, the work that I'm asking you to do right now as members of Mission Point is that you've been using, hopefully, this month to think. And that takes work to think. Who are those individuals that I'm already being sent into that sphere, that environment? God, who are you placing upon my heart that I could be a part of loving them and proclaiming the word of the Lord to them? I know at times we, we hear that and we go, but I'm not a pastor I don't have the training or education, but friend, you have your story and you have the word in your hand on your phone. I promise you there are opportunities ready to arise right in front of you. But man, let's, let's be bold like Paul and Barnabas, it says in verse 46. Speak out boldly. So just a moment, we're going to sing this song, How Great Thou Art. You know it. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, before you begin to sing that familiar hymn and declare the glory of our God and how great He is, would you choose to determine right now, for maybe the first verse, maybe all that we really hear is, is Lauren singing, but choose for that first verse to say, God, help me to have the courage to live a sent life. To 
follow you wherever you would lead. To speak up boldly. God, give me those three individuals that I live, work, and play with. Help me to develop a heart for them. I don't want us just to, for lack of a better term, play the game of church where we show up, we sang, we heard a sermon. But man, when we leave here, we are sent out because we are sent. So let's represent Him well. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for everybody in this room and myself included that we would take very seriously the words of Acts 13 and that we would follow that model and live a sent life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you spend that time with the Lord and then as you've done that, man, lift up your voice and declare how great He is.